Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Reno Whites. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host, as always. Thank you so much for joining the show this week. Today on the podcast, I am very excited to welcome Brian McArdle. He's the new revitalization manager for the city of Reno. This is a position that is it's really about creating a shared story for what Reno is, what it wants to be, bringing economic development. Brian used to work with EDON, which is the Economic Development Authority of Western Nevada. So a big focus on bringing business industry, money, jobs, workforce to the city of Reno. He's been in the role for a few months, and it's been really exciting to learn about what the city is doing to revitalize, to fix up certain neighborhoods, to develop downtown. We talked about Reno being kind of a hub and spoke system with all of these various districts. There's the Riverwalk, Midtown, Wells, the Brewery District, and downtown being kind of the hub that needs a little bit of work still. Brian's job is to revitalize the city of Reno, and we had a great conversation about what Reno has been in the past, what it is now, what kind of development is going on, tons of great stuff about how Reno is growing and changing, which is, if you listen to the show, a very common theme of our conversations. I learned a ton from my conversation with Brian and really enjoyed it, and I hope that you will too. If you enjoy the Renoites podcast, I would love for you to help support the show financially. I have a Patreon account. Patreon is a website where you can donate money on a regular basis to creators like me who are creating kind of projects like this that are valuable to the community and that you want to support financially. You can go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Dot com to learn a little bit more about what this podcast is, why I do it, and how I can hope to make it financially sustainable for the future. Again, that's patreon.com slash renoites. I'd like to avoid ads. I'd like to avoid other outside input about what type of guest and what type of conversation I have. And the best way for that to happen is if the show is financially independent and sustainable. Again, patreon.com slash renoites. If you have suggestions for guests, I would love to hear them. I'm always looking for new guests for the show, and listeners often know the best people that would make a good guest on Renoites. So shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com with your feedback, guest suggestions, anything that you want me to know, reach out anytime, Connor at renoites.com, and follow me on Instagram. That is also a good way to know what's going on with the show and to keep in touch. That's at renoites on Instagram. And now, this week's guest, Brian McArdle. Brian McArdle, welcome to Renoites. Thank you for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So you are the revitalization manager for Reno, and I don't know that much about this role, um, except that you've been in it for a few months, and I'm assuming based on the title that it's about bringing more liveliness and activity um, and economic activity to Reno. So can you just start by telling me a little bit about what the revitalization manager position is? Yeah, a lot, uh, some cities don't have the title revitalization manager. It usually sits in an office of economic development or urban development, redevelopment. I like the title of revitalization because it's a little bit ambiguous. It's almost like the word vibrancy. Mm -hmm. What does vibrancy mean? And so I kind of like the title, but I think I always tell people there's three main types of economic development. And I came from Edon for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I would say there's, there's business economic development where you bring companies in, create jobs, things like that. Then you have workforce. You want to make sure you have the talent here to make a company really thrive that increases wages, things like that. And then I would say that the third one is a sense of place, economic development as place. You know, Edon doesn't do that type of sort of economic development. 
And I think there's massive opportunities for the city to really focus on that, especially mm -hmm. right now. So I'm here to sort of focus on that type of economic development, which is the where, the why, you know, in a sense of, of place. Gotcha. And I, I know you've described it as kind of having a shared story of what Reno is. So how would how do you describe Reno to people who are not familiar with it? Like when you're explaining what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what kind of city is Reno? What kind of city are you trying to make Reno? I tell people we are a thriving mountain town mm -hmm. that has a lot of culture, isn't in the desert. Um, so I have to preface that we are in a mountain town. Sort of try to break the stigmas of some what some people think, mm -hmm. uh, mining, gaming, but it's so much more than that. And I tell people we have an arts and culture scene that's coming up. Most of the time when I talk to someone about Reno, they've either been here to go to the Tahoe mm -hmm. and they landed at the airport or they're going to Burning Man and they just drove through. And if they're driving through on the freeway to Burning Man, they really don't get the best experience of Reno. And so I asked, did you, did you go on the river? Did you go to Midtown? And some people, sometimes people say there's a river in downtown <laughs> Reno. I go, yeah, it's actually a very nice river. Uh, and I try to break the stigma first and foremost. But then I tell people that there's a lot of activity, that you can be a big fish in a small pond. It's highly mm -hmm. livable. We have a great quality of life here. It just feels open and welcoming. Mm -hmm. And one of the most, the proudest thing I hear from people when they come here is everyone is so nice and welcoming. I don't think you get that in some communities. It's either hard to make friends or their structures. And I tell people that after the Great Recession, 2008, 2010, we were so beat down as a community that coming out of that, we knew we wanted to be something else. Mm -hmm. And as people come in here and bring their own uniqueness and flavor, that we invite them to build whatever we're going to become. And so they can play a role too, and you invite them into the fold, and they choose their own adventure. And that is how you build great cities. I think there's tremendous advantage in being a mid-sized town. Yeah, I was about to say, Reno has this kind of history of reinvention. And obviously, your job right now is to create some change in the city. Do you think that in being a mid-sized city, it's easier to do than um, than in larger cities? What are the benefits of doing the kind of work that you're doing in a city that's the size of Reno? It's interesting because our side is one thing. Some people say, oh, Austin, they, they refer to Austin and Miami as like these big, the hot cities right now. Mm. And what do we have to do to be like them? And I, I tell people, we won't be the next Austin. We can't. We just don't. Our landmass makes us unique. And so you look to cities like Boulder, who have a great university, great economy, tech. It's near major metropolitan areas. You know, we pull out of the Bay Area. They pull out of Denver. Uh, but they kept that quality of life, mountain town recreation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where we want to go. And so I think smaller cities are a bit more malleable, especially when people care about seeing the changes. Mm -hmm. You know, you had mentioned you came back to Reno. Yeah. And I'd love to hear what you were listening to or what what was the trigger to sort of bring you back into this town? Because it's not the same city it once was. Mm -hmm. And we're not done becoming who we're going to become. I think we have to do things in the future with intent and focus to really seize the opportunity here. Because Reno is on everyone's shortlist. We don't tell ourselves those stories. And there's a, a funny story out of Oklahoma City I've been sharing with everyone is years ago, Oklahoma City was trying to do a reinvention. And they did this survey. They hired a consultant to do a survey on what the perception of Oklahoma City was throughout the nation across the world. The consultants came back and said, well, most people have no perception about Oklahoma City. Some people positive. You know, what's weird is we found one place that had a negative perception about Oklahoma City. Would you like to know where that is? And they go, yeah. And they go, it's Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And the story was that people in Oklahoma City just couldn't believe themselves that they could be better. 
And so they assumed everyone else shared that belief that、mm-hmm. they, you know, but it's like, no, you're holding yourselves back. You all have to believe in something and get there. I think we have that and we're, we're making our way through it. Yeah. Is that something that you see a lot in Reno too? Because I've definitely encountered people in Reno who are, Like, not that hyped on Reno. There are people who live here who talk a lot of crap about the city they live in, and it drives me crazy as someone who, even if there are things I don't like, I, I just feel like I have to love the city that I live in. Otherwise, you know, how can you go about your day feeling like you live in a place that you don't love? So, whether you love it or not, you kind of have to make yourself do it. So, have you found that as we've changed and grown a little bit, are there people who are coming around to? Recognizing what Reno does have to offer? Is it people coming into Reno? Is that part of the thing that that changes the narrative? Is like, obviously, we're desirable if everyone is moving here. So, does that kind of like shake people up a little bit and be like, oh, wait, there is, there must be something about this place? I think everyone has different opinions about it. I meet some people who are super excited, other people who are not as excited.、Hmm. I used to own a business downtown and we used to host the wine walk. We, you know, the wine walk's still going on, but I always found it funny that. Someone would say, Oh my gosh, I haven't been down here in forever. It's really nice down here. Like, how long have you been living here? Oh, we moved to Sparks 25 years ago. <laughs> When was the last time you were downtown? Eight years, right? And some people have perceptions about downtown and then they'll complain about it or they don't go. And then you say, When was the last time you were down there?、Mm-hmm. They say, It's been years. Well, okay, you know, maybe you should just reevaluate or experience it. And I understand there are challenges, but when, usually when people have opinions, I like to be highly perceptive and listen to them because either they're misinformed or I need to be informed. You know, I have learned not to write off people's concerns and thoughts and feelings. You're not going to change their minds with data. They just need to feel it.、Mm. And so if they feel like something's great and they feel like it's safer and welcoming and inviting and it's fun, then, then everything else changes from that belief structure.、Yeah. So they got to feel it. I always try to make an invitation、mm-hmm. to somewhere. Part of the thing that drew me back to Reno is. I moved away from here and I lived in more urban kind of environments. So I lived in Portland, I lived in Oakland, and I was taking public transit, I was walking places, I was in the downtowns. And when I was growing up in Reno, I was one of those people like, we never went downtown. My family had very little connection to the downtown area. But I realized that Reno does have a downtown that's getting better. And now I live closer to downtown. I'm within walking distance of downtown. So my, my lived experience in Reno is entirely different now as an adult. Than it was as a kid. So I think there's definitely something to, you know, seeing is believing and actually experiencing the downtown as it is now makes a huge difference to actually get out there and see it. I know that a big part of your job, obviously, is downtown redevelopment and a lot of attention is on downtown Reno. But I had a conversation with someone recently、uh, about potential guests and stuff, and they said, Your show is all about downtown, midtown, like the urban core, but a lot of people in Reno. Are not downtown folks. So, how much of your job is really focused on downtown revitalization and these specific neighborhoods? And how much of it is citywide development? How much are you thinking about the, the far reaches? I would say it's mainly the urban core.、Uh, maybe you could say inside the McCarran Loop.、Mm-hmm. I do think that all the districts are the first line of defense. We probably have like seven or eight district neighborhood type things. We have University District, we have Wells Avenue,、mm-hmm. we have You know, entertainment core, Riverwalk. I think what's happening on Dickerson Road is always really exciting.、Mm-hmm. I love going down there. You have Midtown, you have a couple other, you know, I think California Avenue and some things like that. Yeah. And you have Little Portland over here. You, you're <laughs> from Portland. We have Little Portland near the Patagonia outlet. So you look at that, and 
you think how can each one be unique in its own way mm -hmm. and how can we help and be a facilitator for more stuff mm -hmm. and sometimes get out of the way or remove roadblocks. So I wouldn't say downtown proper and I have been challenging people on their definition of what is downtown and I'll share with you. So I have a, I have a coffee mug. It's called the coffee mug thesis mm -hmm. where I take a map and I take the lid off of my coffee mug and I put it down and I draw a circle and I say, where do you think the pinpoint center of downtown is? And I would guess that most people put the arch as the center of downtown. And I go, okay. I say, here's where I think the center of downtown is. And I put it on the Virginia Street Bridge right where the river is. And I draw two circles. The one is where the arch is. And you look at what is within that circle and it's the casinos. You know, we have the Reno Event Center, which is hosting a ton of events. Uh, I think like Jerry Seinfeld was there a couple weeks ago, bowling stadium, ton of parking garages, which is great because everyone wants more parking downtown. Mm. But then when you look at the circle that is pinpointed where the river, the bridge is, you get five different museums, you get three office towers, you get a performing arts center, mm. you get a ton of restaurants, you get a container beer garden, the Eddie, mm -hmm. you get Wingfield Park Amphitheater, you get a movie theater, you get all these restaurants along the river, you get walking paths. And I'm like, that is... You get Little Portland, Patagonia Outlet, Renaissance, an amazing hotel. That is an amazing downtown. Mm. And so I, I tell people, we actually have a fantastic downtown in some sense. You have to, you know, I'm framing it the right way. Right. But, you know, we have museum, children's art museums and the post office and the basement, what's going on. There's a lot to do and there's a lot of activity. Mm. And if you look at that, it is, uh, I would say, clean, most of that section and a ton of stuff to do. Yeah. There are things for people to do. So a lot of people say, well, there's no no reason for me to come downtown anymore. Mm. Um, what's for me? And I, if you look at that circle, there's a ton. There's absolutely a ton. And so I try to frame it that, well, our entertainment corridor does have challenges. We're doing the placemaking study right now. Mm -hmm. We have single uses in the area. We need more diversity of uses. And I actually worry about Midtown and other areas at times. And a lot of districts across the nation right now, the e entertainment and eating, you know, dining, is thriving right now. Mm -hmm. And I just worry that some of those districts need need to be more diverse in a sense to where we need a little bit more shopping, mm -hmm. a little bit more services, home goods, things like that. I go to cities and walk around. It's, you know, the candle store, then it's a, you know, a whiskey bar, then a home goods store. And so I do think we need a bit more diversity just to make us resilient mm -hmm. long term. How much of your job is the kind of explaining and marketing and letting people know what Reno is versus how much of it is making the like the real efforts to change those things is 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 your job both of those things yes yeah absolutely you look at Midtown and Midtown happened organically but there was momentum and so what I'm really trying to do is find the catalyst and create momentum hmm. and it shouldn't feel inauthentic but if we can help support something that, you know, is the first domino that makes other things happen and then people start seeing and believing it and then it creates a pull where small businesses do want to come down to that area and it is thriving and, you know, walkable. And I think that I'm trying to find where I can identify areas to support and yeah. really uh, help out. What are the like the big prerequisites for a neighborhood or area being kind of revitalized? I always think it needs you need people to live there. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad like to see the Harrah's renovation and that turning into housing so that people are actually living downtown that creates a market for maybe a grocery store, those kind of things. So like what are the puzzle pieces you think are essential 
that you try to do first so that everything else can build around it? Do we need more people to live downtown? Do we need a grocery store downtown? Do we need more vibrant sidewalks? Like, because there's a lot of kind of like dead blocks downtown. What's the first priority if you're trying to bring people? Is it clean and safe, right? Because I know that's a Mm. big focus too, is a lot of people don't come downtown because they have a perception that it's not clean and safe. So where do you start? Is Reno, what is Reno doing basically to start that kind of cascading effect where more people want to come here? Well, I think when I interviewed for this job, one of my goals is we need 10,000 people living in downtown by 2030. Mm. Where are we at right now? Do you know? Uh, I think we're at well, I know there's 1,600 units currently being built between Ballpark Apartments, Harrah's, Eden Tower just opened up, mm-hmm. uh, the Mod at Riverwalk, and then a couple other places. So I think we have 1,600 in the works, and I want to say there's less than 4,000. I should know that number because we just did the placemaking <laughs> study. You know, we do need more. And I, I have a list of like my top priorities, and I made little themes for them. And I said, uh, six birds, one stone. Mm -hmm. I think density solves all of our problems Mm -hmm. and that you get more people living, walking, experiencing a city. You naturally have things pop up. A grocery store is the hardest one. When you Mm -hmm. talk about, when you talk to other people in this business and other downtowns, a grocery store is number one on everyone's list. Mm -hmm. Yet a lot of people don't realize that grocery stores need absolute density to work. They operate on like one or 2% margins. Mm -hmm. And if there's not, a high number of people within a half a mile circle, they won't go in. And so I know, you know, we have concerns about food deserts and things like that, but we have a lot of work to do on the people side, bringing people down here Mm -hmm. to, to get the grocery store. Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. It's been on my, my want list for a very, very long time, but I understand that um, there needs to be the people there. And that's, I imagine part of the challenge of trying to revitalize a neighborhood that does not have a lot of residents. It's a lot of tourists. So where do you where do you start? If the people aren't there, so the grocery store won't come there and no one's going to move there because there's no grocery store. Um, if housing's expensive and housing's being built, but maybe not fast enough. And there's also challenges to a lot of the attempts to build housing too. That's another kind of question I have is you could probably get pushback on all the things that you're doing that you think are good for the city, there's probably someone saying, oh, no, wait, we don't actually want that. I hear, you know, we like downtown like it used to be. We want it to be how it was. Like we're losing the old Reno as part of a narrative. How do you react to that when you have things you think are good for the city and then maybe the public perception is not always aligned with you? So how much of your job is is selling the things that you think are good? And how much do you need to listen to, uh, you know, folks who maybe don't like some of the changes? When people don't recognize their city anymore, that's when you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start talking about displacement and gentrification Mm -hmm. is that it's, you know, everyone wants to see evolution and growth. It's just they don't want to lose their connection to it. And in a way, there's a lot of nostalgia for the entertainment area of downtown Reno. I remember going to Eddie's Fabulous 50s. So you said you didn't go to casinos a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think my parents cooked a signal dinner um, (laughs) before the age of 10 years old. And so we were buffet hounds. And I was in every buffet Mm -hmm. and sports book. I remember sitting there for hours just waiting for my dad to be done at the sports book. But like Eddie's Fabulous 50s, eating breakfast at the Copper Ledge restaurant at the Calneva, all those places. And I even have a soft spot for the nostalgia. And so a lot of people want to get back to way, the way it was. And it's really hard because it's, it's just not the way it was. We've lost a couple of casinos. Gaming is not what it was. People crave more experiences mm-hmm. nowadays. And that's why I think the districts are thriving. I told people it wasn't that we lost anything. It's that 
other areas started to blossom up. And so it was almost a competitive districts、mm. thing. And I really think that tide changed in about 2004, 2005 when the tap house opened up along the river. And then it was Imperial and then it was Silver Peak. And then、mm. we got the movie theater and then it was,、uh, you know, Wild River Grill and Compo. And then we had this river walk. And before in growing up here, I would, before graduating in 2005 from the University of Nevada, There wasn't a single restaurant or bar that wasn't inside a casino that you could go to. And that all changed in 2004, 2005. And it lasted about a decade. I think Riverwalk was the new growing district for about a decade. And then towards the end of 2008, 2009, 10, that's when Midtown really started. Yeah. And then Midtown was the, has been the next decade.、Mm-hmm. And I think, I think 4th Street in the brewery district is maybe the next decade beyond that.、Mm-hmm. And so it's not that nobody did anything, it's that we just became more. Interactive and diverse city, and we had different options of、mm. entertainment and experiences. And so, how do we get back to that? I think we all need to focus on what is needed, and there's no silver bullet.、Mm. You have to create a sense of momentum. And I, I say, you know, you look for catalytic projects, and some of them aren't that big. It's just the one thing. You know, I think the Eddie Beer Garden、mm. over here at Container Park is a catalytic project where when, once it happens, people see the whole area. You know, they see that, but then they see everything else around it and they go,、oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. So finding the catalytic projects and, you know, it just takes one、right. and then you build momentum from there. Yeah. And so, so you have kind of a startup background too. And I understand that that is what a lot of cities want to do is bring in small startups, entrepreneurs.、Uh, tech, I think, for a while was a real focus. And I、mm-hmm. know like Tesla's not exactly tech, it's more of like manufacturing, I guess, out at the Tesla facility. But, There's been in the past this kind of drive to bring more startup culture, tech companies, those kind of things. Is that something that is paid off? Is that something that you think is still a good focus for a city like Reno? Or what kind of other of those businesses that you're talking about, the first domino? Is it just tech stuff or what other type of businesses and money do you want to see coming into Reno? Yeah, I think the whole focus on tech, you have what they call the creative class. And The last decade or so, especially with the pandemic and working from anywhere,、mm-hmm. is that people crave quality of life now. And we rank really high. Say Reno's in the Goldilocks zone, where we have it's the right size city.、Mm-hmm. It's got great, it's got a bit of everything without a lot of the negative effects of, of large cities. And most people like large cities because of the food and entertainment scene. And we have that now here. So I think when people started leaving the Bay Area, and I always said the Bay Area. 2006 ish, you would have someone that would graduate and go work for Google at 25, make great money. Those people are aging out. They're in their 40s now、mm. and they want to have families and they want to own homes and they want some space. And when they start thinking, maybe I can't do that in this big city, Reno is definitely on that short list. And so we invited those people in, definitely higher wage jobs. They support the cocktail bars and things like that that have driven a lot of the growth. And once you start that, you get more and it builds capacity and density. And as you get a lot of talented, knowledgeable individuals, then other things start spinning off of that. And the greatest thing is that the, our university stopped having a brain drain in a sense.、Hmm. And so when you have companies like Tesla or Figure,、uh, one of our ones that grew from when we were on Startup Row on First Street was Trainer Road. And there you know, must be 100 employees now and they have customers all over the world. And so it was really important. 
And the best thing is, is that it diversified our economy.、Mm. And we didn't realize how important that was until the pandemic hit. And we realized, and you look at Vegas with the hospitality sector, and you look at us, and we didn't have the shock that a lot of other communities did because we had this diverse economy. And I mean, part of that is, was in response to the 08 financial crisis, right? Like we, we got hit by the financial crisis in a really bad way. And then we spent a decade. Making sure that wouldn't happen again. And then is that why we seemed to do better than Vegas as far as COVID response? Do you think that?、Um, yeah, we weren't trying to get back to where we were.、Hmm. We we're trying to build a new path、mm-hmm. and get out of it and say, let's not do this again. Yeah.、Uh, and we made some, we, we put our time and attention towards some areas.、Hmm. And I think it really paid off.、Yeah. I really do. The co working spaces in town, the fact that the university has the innovation center was a huge win. I remember we were like, it would be great if we had this offsite cool space. We never thought that that would happen. And the university was like, yeah, we think it's an awesome idea too. And、uh, Myrtle got them, came in, and they got the building from the city and built it. And once you had that, it was a little hub of activity and it does pay off. Long term. How much of the revitalization do you think is going to involve the university, not just the, the work they do at the university, but people living closer to downtown? I know Brian Sandoval has uh, uh, talked a lot about kind of moving some of the, the energy of the university closer to downtown. I know there's a freeway to cross, which is a little challenging, I'm sure. But how much of the future of Reno as like a college town do you think is going to factor into what you're trying to do? I think it's incredibly important. I think everyone wants to see it happen.、Mm. I mean, maybe not everyone, but、uh, I think it's really positive. And I think the timing is right. We're a good sized city with an amazing university. We're 23,000 students now. We'll get there. What does it look like? I don't know. I think there, there will be improvements along the freeway. They're getting a new business school. There is a new little retail development being built on the other side of the freeway.、Mm. I think, I believe, you know, Jimmy John's and a couple of the eateries are going over there. So it's going to happen over time. And there's more students, there's students living on the downtown side of、mm-hmm. the university now. You run that out long enough, I think everyone is finding ways to bridge the difference. And I think everyone's aligned and we'll, we'll get there. Gotcha. We'll, we definitely will get there. Where does your position kind of fit in the operations of the city? Like, how much do you work with city planners? How much do you work with the city manager? How much are you working with council? What levers do you personally have to make some of these changes? In a sense, I have to, I'm trying to rebuild a lot of the tools and initiatives that the city has to do this stuff. But then I've also realized that it touches every department in the city. When you're talking about development along the river, you have flood challenges, and we're trying to solve our flood challenges. When you have things happening in the districts, the placemaking study, then it comes with safety. But then you also want affordable housing. The city just got a $166 million to invest in affordable housing. And so I realized that everything is so interconnected that、mm-hmm. I've been bouncing around from department and learning things. At the end of the day, we really have to have tools to facilitate development. If we don't have tools, then you know, the market will do what it wants to do. But it'd be really nice if we could facilitate and incentivize、mm-hmm. some of these things. Every city that we admire right now, they do have tools to incentivize development and activity. And I think that gets painted as being developer friendly. But at the same time, if you don't make investments in the city that you want to build, you won't get the city you want.、Mm-hmm. And so we have to find a, a good way to, to merge that and to balance that out. And if we do it the right way, there's a ton of opportunity here and we will get the city we want long term.、Mm-hmm.
Yeah, you mentioned other cities. And then Reno is not the only city that is dealing with a giant influx of people from bigger cities nearby, rising housing prices. A lot of cities around the West Coast have similar exciting things and similar challenges. Are there things that you've seen in other cities that are doing the same kind of revitalization work that you think work really well here? Or have you seen cities try things that don't work? Kind of like what lessons have you learned from seeing cities try to deal with the type of growth Reno is dealing with? Some of the cities that I really admire lately A lot of the cities in the Midwest have really invested along the river. The city leadership went to Columbus for a conference, and they all came back just blown away how Columbus really utilized the river and a lot of the tools they did to do development along the river. And we have some of those tools here at the city. We just haven't really brushed them off and reinvigorated them. And that's kind of how we treat our redevelopment agency and how we do tax increment financing and almost like the bid districts, a a lot of things like that. Even if you look at Summerlin and Las Vegas, the way they built that and the way they do assessments and the way the money goes back in and does things like landscaping and lighting and improves the area. And so there's a lot of stuff we can do. Calgary is a city I've been absolutely obsessed with for a while, and I haven't been to Calgary yet. <laughs> but from what I see, Calgary, Calgary is shedding the oil and gas industry, and they're trying to find who they're going to be in the future. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. So I think a lot of us are going to go up to Calgary here in June to learn what they're doing really well. And I always look at Boise just because Boise is an interesting case study and benchmark and Chattanooga. Hmm. Boise, Reno, and Chattanooga are about half a million people in their MSAs, which is the metropolitan area. They all have universities of about 23,000 students. They're all high recreation, high quality of life towns with a river running through it. And it's always good to look at those things and compare and contrast and benchmark us. Reno is so unique in some sense because we have that industry here, uh, Mm -hmm. casino and gaming, which is our greatest advantage, uh, but it makes us really unique. And you can't look at all of them the same way because we are are totally unique, unique animal. But a lot of this stuff are the same as the river and the university and, you know. So looking at those and figuring out what they did really well is something we'll be doing. Thief and an arsonist, steal the best ideas and, and, you know, start fires on the things that are working. Gotcha. Uh, You you mentioned the casino. So, like, obviously, the entertainment district, downtown casinos have been a big economic driver, Mm -hmm. but they're very tourist-oriented. And my biggest complaint is that they have no street activation. Like, the casinos want to keep people inside. And I think for, I'm assuming, for downtown to have a vibrant street life, Something needs to change there. I, I don't know how it's possible to have vibrant street life if you have entire blocks that are just closed and there's nothing nothing to do or see on them. So how do you work with the casinos who have kind of a vested interest maybe in protecting their current business, their current business model, their current structure, when you're trying to do bigger things with their entire neighborhood, right? So what do those negotiations look like or what what tools do you, I mean, there are businesses that can do whatever they want with their property. So how do you deal with um, kind of like the big players who may not want to, they might not want to revitalize in the way that you do. So how do you deal with those? That is, so that is entirely the purpose of the placemaking study that we've been doing Mm -hmm. is having those conversations say, how do we reinvigorate the streetscape along Virginia? In Virginia, the placemaking study goes from the university to Virginia, almost to Midtown. So it's long. And it isn't homogenous along that street. You kind of have the university flair, mm-hmm. you have the center, then you have the Riverwalk area, and then you kind of have the financial district area. And so there's four like nodes and areas along Virginia Street. 
just having those conversations have been incredibly enlightening. I wouldn't necessarily assume that casinos don't want people to leave. Uh, they've just made investments that that reinforce, you know, their uh, customers' wants and needs. And we're trying to get them to put just more attention on, hey, something's going on in tourism right now that when people are visiting an area, they don't want in- inauthentic experiences. Mm. Now they want to go to the same places that locals are going. And it's this very weird spot in tourism because everything's experience-based right now. Mm. What we're trying to do with a lot of the property owners downtown is saying people crave experiences and they're not getting that in that corridor. They are leaving, and maybe they are, but it's just indoors, but they're leaving to go to other places like 4th Street, you know, the breweries or Midtown or the river, you know, container beer garden. Mm -hmm. I say we have a hub and spoke model. All the spokes are thriving, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 4th Street's thriving and Midtown's thriving and the Riverwalk's thriving. It's really the hub that we have to focus on. And we are putting that focus on it now. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Um, I think the challenge is they ask, what can the city do to bring this back? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, the city can do landscaping and lighting and new sidewalks. And I, we've done a lot of that in all of the district areas. Mm. I think we can do, and this is the placemaking, we can do things like add more public spaces to sit or you know, little tactical interventions mm-hmm. that we, we say. But if the city's gonna make investments, those property owners and businesses need to make investments as well. And we'll get there if we each agree to sort of do a little, and then once we see the benefits, we'll do more. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity for them to actually increase their bottom line if they lean into this a little. Mm -hmm. And it's not the big property owners, it's the little property owners as well. And there's a bit of game theory going on that everyone is waiting for someone else to do something. They're waiting for the city to do something Mm -hmm. or they're waiting for that other property owner to do something so that it makes sense for them to make an investment. And so that's where I'm talking about finding those catalyst projects, like what can we do? Mm -hmm. And I think Whitney Peak was a catalyst project that showed everyone else what can be done. They Mm -hmm. did the climbing wall you know, RCVA says that climbing wall just photos really well in marketing, just that huge climbing wall. Yeah. And when we can say we have the largest uh, outdoor climbing wall, you know, little things like that, that get the word out. And I really think once people start seeing it, everyone else will start participating. And mm-hmm. once everyone starts participating, we will get the entertainment area, you know, core that we, we want and need. Gotcha. I know there hasn't been as much news about the Jacobs projects recently, but that was a huge topic of conversation for a very long time about when are things actually being built? What is actually going to be built? How much is the city? Again, the the accusation of being developer friendly came very strongly around a lot of the Jacobs stuff. Um, And that sounds like that's a big project, right? So that's not just rehabbing one small store in the corner of downtown. It's an entire new I think they're trying to move downtown effectively. So when you're looking at big, like giant changes to downtown like that, again, property owners can do whatever they want with their land. You can't make someone not tear down a building. I don't know what what tools the city has to affect those kind of changes. But we've been talking a little bit about kind of the the smaller changes that incrementally change the city. But big projects like that are huge. And if they're really successful, that's really great. And if they're not, or if they don't happen, that feels like it can be devastating. So how do you deal with the big things like that, the the categorically changing kind of projects? I remember Park Lane Mall growing up. And I remember when they bulldozed that, the expectation was they break ground on that in 18 months. And then that developer went away. And then they asked, you know, it got sold or it got 
you know, was bankrupt and went to another person, three people down the line, somebody asked, why didn't you develop that? You had 18 months. Mm. You say, I didn't make an agreement with you. I don't even know who you are. And that property sat collecting weeds mm. on that largest intersection in town for 20 years. And it just hurts to think about. I would say that the neon line district, it's a risk, but it's also the, could be the greatest opportunity in Reno. And when we look at our peer cities, they've done huge development projects like this. You have the Beltway in Atlanta that just did this amazing thing. And they just, they looked at it holistically, huge area. How do we, how do we do this over 20 years? Mm -hmm. And they came to an agreement on how to make that work. And the city brought in things and the developer brought in things. And so there has to be a happy marriage there. It can't be Mm one-sided, but there is a marriage to be had. And I've taken a, you know, a step back to say, how do I reapproach this whole thing? Just come in with a fresh perspective and say, how can we make this work and what needs to be done? And a lot of that is how have other cities done it mm-hmm. the right way? What do we need to build and improve here at the city to make that happen? And, you know, the other parties have to come halfway. Uh, you know, usually those in other cities, they start with a big, huge, shiny object and say, we want this. Mm-hmm. And the city says, well, so do we. And how do we get there? And then they have the conversations and they make a 20-year plan. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where we need to go. Gotcha. How do you deal with um, long-term thinking in a world where people have uh, very immediate demands? I'm a very short-term, immediate person. I'm like... When I saw the uh, the placemaking study and Virginia Street had the bike lanes, I'm like, yes, bike lanes everywhere right now. Keep them forever. Uh, But I understand when you're planning very big things for a city, you have to have this kind of like long-term looking much further forward. So how do you communicate that to people like myself who are very impatient when we see something we like, a shiny object, and we're like, oh, this is something that'll be good for us. We we want it right this second. What's your kind of balance between doing the things people want right now that gets you that positive feedback and that excitement versus tempering people's expectations about how long it takes to revitalize a city that's had, you know, struggles on and off for a long time. Sometimes I ask, what do you want right now? And people are like, we want eateries and bars and experiences. And you ask, do you have that right now? And they say, yes, but I want it here. And then you ask, how often do you go there right now? And the answer is not very often. You're like, that's the problem. And it's a density thing all Mm -hmm. over again. And so do we not have that thing here in Reno or you just want it right there? And taking a step back, how do you short-term and long-term thinking? Is that right now, you know, when I came over here, we don't really have a shared story about where we are going. Hmm. You know, everyone wants a university town. No one really knows what that looks like. Everyone wants to neon line. No one really knows what it looks like. Uh, People can put their mind around Midtown because they can see it and feel it. Hmm. And so they know where Midtown is going, but we really, in the river as well. And so- I tell people we need a broader shared story that people believe where we're going and have the patience to get there. And one of my plans is over time to get everyone on the same page. It's like, this is what we want and this is who we're going to be. And we all agree that this is going to be awesome and amazing and it's going to take time. We're okay with that. Mm. And then as long as you see trickles and little bits of momentum, people will continue to believe and then it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It'll take time. Yeah. I've been here three months, right? (laughs) Right. Everyone's like, have you fixed downtown yet? (laughs) And I say, well, define fixing downtown. It's going to take time and we'll see the effects in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's what's the process been like? So again, you've been in the position for a few months. Um, What have you learned along the way? What have you been surprised by? 
kind of what's your experience been going from Edon to working with the city? So you were already working economic development. So what's it been like moving into the uh, into city hall and, and having a different angle on it? Everyone said, government? Why? I'll say this. The culture that has been built here at the city of Reno is amazing. And everyone I've met is awesome. And everyone I talk to is like, yeah, it's amazing right now. Welcome to the team. We're so excited to have you. This is going to be amazing. You just feel it. And it, maybe I didn't expect that as much, but it has, it just, it's been great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely great. I think coming from over from Edon, I've had my eye on this for a while. So my background is I owned a business in Riverwalk and as well as Midtown. And we're both on those merchants associations. And I also worked for a tech company for a couple of years, startup company, and then was working in tech and stuff. But I always had my eye on street level, downtown, you know, I'm a city geek. Mm. At the end of the day, I really am a city geek. And I saw the opportunities and wanted to do it. You know, just give me an opportunity to put some of these things in place. And that's why I'm excited to be over here. Mm. It does feel, it feels similar but different to the work I was doing at Edon for the last nine and a half years. Uh, But, uh, you know, this town can do anything. And once you get people to believe it's ironic that the sign is believe, but once you get people to believe in something, uh, the magic happens and we have people that want to see they're willing to believe in things. You just got to paint the picture for them. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit more about Edon. So I know that it's, you know, economic development authority, Western Nevada. And the, my understanding, the job of Edon is to bring business and bring money into Northern Nevada. So what did you do at Edon and kind of is, how would you describe Edon, uh, and like the work you did there? Well, I would say Edon is, Jobs and wages, creating good, high-quality jobs in the area and making sure that um, that we're increasing the average wage here so that people live a prosperous life. I Mm -hmm. think that is economic development. And the way Edon does that is by bringing in companies to create those jobs, high-quality jobs. And in 2013, when we had 14% unemployment, you know, people, people look at things now and then forget what it was like in 2012. Uh, when Mike Kazmierski came on as CEO and we we're, I think for, we peaked at 14.1% unemployment. And so people just, we needed jobs. And so you go out there and you convince companies to move and companies aren't making investments then, but we got a couple companies to move and then we got more companies to move. And, and that is part of the problem is that people come, they create jobs here. People come, they get better wages, they increase the housing costs. But I'll say every every thriving city across America is dealing with that challenge. It is not unique to us. Mm-hmm. And explaining to that to people sometimes, they just want to write you off like, you know, that's an excuse. But no, it is happening. People who are cost burdened by their housing, which is paying more than 30% of your income on housing, is in every city all across the board, mm-hmm. even at all income stages. And so, uh, you know, we're not unique. It is definitely a problem. But it's an it's a symptom of us being a thriving city. So Edon brings companies in, and then as well, they focus on talent, workforce, uh, working with the university and the community college, things like that, the robotics programs and schools to make sure we have the talent needed. And then what I was doing at Edon for the last nine and a half years is focusing on the tech community. And we started with small things like startup weekends. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of startups in tech you know, we didn't really have a lot of entrepreneurs back then. And, and the definition of an entrepreneur back then was sort of what I was doing is main street, small business entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But our approach was 
create really high growth scalable companies. And we did that. Then we created a mentor program that got a lot of the leadership here locally and other people who have grown companies to mentor those coming up through the ranks of their new companies. And eventually that led to, we need more capital here to invest in the companies that are here. And so we took on the initiative of creating a a venture capital fund, Mm. which we did. It's the Reno Seed Fund. And it's about three and a half million dollars. And it's made investments. And I think it's with the seed fund invests along with the investors in and around that circle, it's deployed like $12 million into local companies. Sort of that was done, finished that. And sort of that next thing was like, I'm going to go focus on downtown, led a venture capital effort to get more investment capital. And maybe I can do some stuff fun stuff in downtown. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned cost of housing is like through the roof and not just in Reno, but everywhere. And affordability is something that is essential to, a city being healthy, I think, you know, if uh, if a city's wonderful, but it's just a, a playground for rich people, mm-hmm. uh, that's not a, you know, that's not a thriving city. Um, so, again, there's only so much we can do when there's a ton of people moving to Reno, housing costs go up, there's, you know, just basic supply and demand issues. So, what can or are you doing or the city doing specifically with affordability in mind. I know you mentioned that there's some money that's come in for affordable housing. What can people see? I think that's the biggest question I always have is we can talk all day about, uh, you know, uh, what we want to do, but what can you point to that people can look at and say like, oh, okay, here's where the city's actually making moves that are directly related to affordability so that people, uh, so that we don't have the gentrification, so that we don't have people being priced out of their neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, on Washington Street, they just broke ground on a vintage on Washington Street. I think it's like 165 units for affordable and senior as well. And I was unaware how much the city was doing in their hand. It's called hand. It's called housing assistance, neighborhood development. Should get that right. They have been doing rent assistance. They come in and support developers in building these types of affordable projects because you need to. No developer in the world is going to just build an affordable project because a lot of times they can't. The projects don't even pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to say they're making too much money. It's another thing to not let them make any money at all and be in the hole uh, by the time they finish these projects. So there is a role for the city and the state to play and. Just recently, they passed a $500 million home act. It's called, it, it was under the ARPA funds, but it was home at the state. It was half a billion dollars. And Reno alone got $166 million of that. And that is to uh, work with affordable housing developers to build those types of projects, to do rental assistance, things like that. And it's quite robust. I didn't even know about as much of what the city was doing here in affordable housing. Hmm. On the developer side, you know, I kind of do believe in a process called filtering. And I I approach it like the used and new car market is that, you know, it costs a certain thing to build a brand new car, whether it's a Ford or a Mercedes. But once you do, used cars in the market naturally become cheaper because they're a little bit used. And that's the way it filters. And what's funny is during the pandemic, when they weren't making new cars because of the supply chain and chips, all the used cars got super expensive and everyone's saying we can't even afford used cars and that it was totally supply and demand. And so when you do have new product coming online, um, it filters through and makes the used cars and older cars a little bit more accessible and approachable and affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you look at the housing market, like the car market, you start to realize that, yes, you do need to keep building regular, you know, we call it uh, workforce and workforce housing is 
I think, 80 to 120% of the average income. And so workforce housing is when the average wage can afford the average home. And that's sort of what we're trying to really focus on is true workforce housing. Gotcha. Uh, What about like historical preservation and keeping things that we don't want to lose? Because I think the association with development revitalization is uh, is bulldozers. And a lot of people are very sensitive to the idea of losing things that are uh, very valuable and they see as kind of Reno's heritage. So what goes into the thoughts about preserving parts of Reno or things of Reno. I live down uh, just off Riverside next to near the hub where there's a development right there. And I remember when that first began, there was a lot of concern about that. You know, it's it's a historic neighborhood. That building was replacing a parking lot. So it's not like they tore down a beautiful old craftsman home to build it. It's It was a parking lot. But a lot of the criticism was this is the, the character of the neighborhood is changing. So how do you balance the the need for development, for growth, for building, for density, with pushback from people who just want to preserve the character of the neighborhood. Not necessarily that they want Reno to be like it used to be, but you know the neighborhood that they live in. And this also happens, I think, maybe along Wells, too. I think there's concerns. Like, the more the Midtown vibe moves over, yep. that um, that people, some people don't want the change. So how do you how do you navigate that that challenge between doing new things and uh, and respecting uh, history and, and what we've been before? I think it goes back to uh, having a shared story and understanding that the areas will evolve, but then we also make sure we're keeping and retaining some of the things that made those areas impressive and made them feel like a true neighborhood in the first place. And so I have two core philosophies. I always, you know, my two core personal core values. And one of those is nothing about us without us. And you always have to make sure that you're getting input from the groups. And it's always a balance, but having the conversation is sometimes part of the challenge is, you know, what do you, what are you so afraid of and what would you like to see? Mm. Because a lot of people love the fact that the hub on Riverside is there in the Beaujolais restaurant. But it is also the same person who did that is doing the housing thing. Uh, the same person who did Little Portland over here that brought a ton of vibrancy and changed is kind of the same developer. These areas will evolve. They, we just have to do it with intent and be conscious. And I don't want to lose the character of those mm. neighborhoods as well. Um, the other one is each one teach one. Try to say nice things about it. Like, what, what do you love about it before you tell me what you hate? Mm. And some people will say, well, I love the vibrancy along that river corridor now. And it's like, okay, great. How do we encourage more of that without uh, breaking it sort of thing? And how do we co-curate a path forward together? I love the Lear Theater. I want the Lear Theater to be this amazing space that sort of is the key of of Riverside right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, adaptive reuse is something. Uh, so you lived in Portland mm-hmm. and you're familiar with McMinimins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some people aren't, but McMinimins has, I think, 60 historical properties that they have repurposed. Uh, they take over old rail stations, uh, old schools, spas, you know, asylums in a way. And they just turn them into these amazing spaces, theaters, restaurants, breweries. And what I would love to see is the Lear turned into something like a McMinimins. Mm. Um, and I can't dictate what that would be, but I think long term, I think that would be something that works where you can still maybe even keep it as a theater, mm. but then bring a secondary use that provides some vibrancy. But I just want people to see the Lear Theater again. Yeah. 
People stopped looking at it. It's, it's they don't even see it uh, anymore. I know, and it's said like it having the the chain link fence around it for so long. Uh, I know it's gotten a paint job, so that's at least one thing. But yeah, it's been one of those things that I I walk by all the time, and it's unfortunate to see it just you know not used. It's it's a real asset that I think um, we could benefit from. Glad to hear that. Part of your hope is that it will will come into use again because I think there's fears that eventually things like that sometimes get torn down, especially in cities that are experiencing a lot of redevelopment. That's a prime lot that's probably very valuable, you know, respecting some of those very important historical buildings. Uh, I'm glad that's a priority. Yeah, I think it'll be something I focus on in the new year, Mm. and then we'll bring it to see what council wants. But just making an invitation and then having the conversation about what the community wants with someone that wants to do something with it, and then you co-curate something that'll work together. And I do think there's interest to make that uh, an amazing spot. Right on. Um, what do cities get wrong or what has Reno gotten wrong in the past? I'm, like I've said, we've tried to reinvent ourselves a lot. I think arts and culture has done a lot for the city. So I think that was a big part of branding Reno as you know an art town and a lot of the arts and culture, I think, has been very helpful for us. But have you seen Reno or other cities try things that are that do not work, that that cause some harm? Like what are the what are the pitfalls of trying to do revitalization and what happens if you screw it up? Like, what are you afraid of doing wrong? Sometimes you have to be bold and make very hard decisions, but the benefits will be long-term. I think some things we may have done wrong. I am shocked how few people live in downtown. I wish we would have had more development housing downtown just because, you know, housing curates coffee shops and eateries and, and things like that. And you know, we got the Palladio like at the very last minute before the recession kicked in, the Great Recession. The montage kind of was in the middle of that. And I feel like if we got one or two more years before that happened, we would have had a little bit more housing mm. and people in downtown. And this is dense, dense housing. And that's kind of what we need because there's not enough projects that have a lot of density. And so, you know, we are re- reaching our natural limits in the city. And so we infill's hard. Mm-hmm. Infill is complicated. Infill redevelopment is complicated. There may be existing stuff on the site or there's just other complications. It's not like just going to a fresh piece of dirt and building something. So infill is going to be hard. We have to accept that it's going to be hard, but it is also our future. Mm. Coming back to a shared story, we have to figure out, like, this is what we want. We want more dense housing in our urban core and we're going to go for it. Amen. Amen to that. I'm very big on on density, walkability. Um, And those were a lot of my complaints about Reno when I was growing up. Again, we were not downtown very much. My, you know, experience of Reno as a young person was, you know, like suburban sprawl, no walkability. And seeing that as something that we're actually moving towards and is possible in Reno. And again, that only comes from more density and more infill. So I'm excited to see all of the, you know, the infill housing projects downtown. And uh, I think that is, at least for me, a key to making downtown enjoyable is the vibe that you get when there are people living around you. One of the challenges of downtown still is that it doesn't have that multiple uses all Mm -hmm. day by different people. Uh, It's people that are here for the bars at bar time or they're at the casinos because they're on vacation. Um, Or maybe they do go to like this one restaurant and then they leave downtown again. The vibrancy that is automatically inherent in dense housing. I don't know of any place that is not always great neighborhoods that have a lot of dense housing. You know, I've lived in big cities with very dense and very, you know, unenjoyable neighborhoods, but no one would say that they're not 
lively or vibrant. Mm. You know, there's there's energy, and I think there's is there inherent value in energy? I guess that's the question. Is oh, there, it is. Yeah, because energy creates other energy. Yeah, and this goes back to the each one teach one. If you want to see a more walkable city, uh, I ask that you walk more. Mm. If you want to be more bikeable, I would ask that you bike more, because more activity will dictate the the demand and the build out. I started I, when I joined the city. I started riding my bike to work, and I rode it every morning. And I never had challenges, and I I loved every second of it. But I was like, if everyone started riding their bikes, then the the idea of that we need more bike lanes would be obvious, mm-hmm. right? We can't ask for things and not participate in them ourselves. If you want more places in a certain area, go visit that area and visit the places that are currently there. Mm. Show them that there's opportunity here, mm. and then they'll start making investments and maybe in the next place. I would say one thing I am happy about is that a lot of downtowns across the country, business districts have really, there was an article um, about San Francisco, about the challenges of San Francisco that it's essentially gone to a three-day work week and they're operating, their downtowns are operating at 40% of the people that used to be there. And so your salad bars, your coffee shops, they're all struggling because the business workers, uh, and it has nothing to do with the conditions on downtown. It has to do with the work from home movement Mm. and that they're not coming into their offices anymore. Fortunately, we didn't have a ton of, we didn't build, overbuild an office in Reno. And mm. so we escaped those types of effects. So there's always a silver lining and a way to look at things. Yeah. And I do think our offices in downtown currently, in the broader downtown, are full and doing well. And we, during the placemaking study, we tried to ask, you know, what are, the, what are their experiences in downtown right now? Where do they, what do they want to see in the future? You know, and how do we point a spotlight towards the things we already have? You know, you have a the sizzle pie pizza shop. People are like, we want more pizza. All right, you, do you go to that one? All right, do you know it's there? And, you know, and that's why I ask, what do you want to see? Mm-hmm. Okay, are you currently getting it? And do you know everything out there? And if we don't have it, we'll make a note of it. Gotcha. But I think places like uh, the post office in the basement downstairs, I usually tell people if they haven't been downtown, go downtown, walk along the river a bit, and then go to like the post office and go inside the basement. I get my hair cut down there. Mm-hmm. There's... Uh, a coffee shop there's a sub shop there's cool little shops down there as well that sell different trinkets and things and you'll realize that oh this is the type of downtown we want mm-hmm. we want more of this stuff yeah okay cool awesome then you need to participate and you need to help us build it what did we miss what else do you want people to know about about you or your role or about where do you see reno going the the reno of the future the story of reno uh what didn't we cover i think the future is really bright i said we're in the goldilocks zones we are on the shortlist of a lot of people. Our economy is super strong. We're like 40th. Reno Sparks MSA, I think I read the other day, has the 40th best economy in the nation. Hmm. A couple of years ago, we were number one in job growth. It does have negative unattended consequences, but it, we're number one in job growth. I don't think we celebrate enough the fact of how well we're doing. Hmm. Uh, yet we also realize that people are struggling because of it or it's, or it's causing challenges. But there are are things working? And sometimes we have to say, this is working. Now, how do we focus on the other things that aren't working? But I think the word is out that Reno is here and it's a great quality of life and people want to move here. And if we steer it in the right direction or play our cards right, things will be a lot better in the future. And hopefully we'll reach a sense of equilibrium where everything sort of balance off. And I think a lot of cities are in the same boat as us right now is finding that sense of equilibrium. What is happening right now with big cities and smaller cities and mountain towns, they'll write books about it in the future. Mm. They certainly will. Uh, there's a book by Steve Case called The Third Wave, and he talks about how, you know, 
somebody graduating from Stanford isn't going to stay in Stanford. They're going to go move to New Orleans, not because New Orleans is the next Bay Area, but because New Orleans is the next New Orleans. Mm. And I always say, I want Reno to be the next Reno. And we'll get there. But it has to be co-curated and people have to participate in the things they want. And so if my ask for anything is go and participate in the things that you want. If you complain about the urban core, but you haven't experienced it or participated in it, please do that first Mm. and then give me your opinion because I want to hear your opinion completely. How can people stay in touch with what's going on in town? What's the best way for people to uh, be accurately informed about the way Reno is uh, growing and changing? I would say, you know, listen to podcasts like this, pick a pick an avenue and, ex- and truly experience it. Uh, there are some publications around town. We haven't launched any newsletter or a website. I would love to. Downtown Reno Partnership, which is the business improvement district, they put out a lot of good stuff. Their website, if you want to specifically talk about downtown, their website lists a lot of the development projects that are going on, some of the things that their ambassadors are doing, some of the stats about you know how things are improving down here. I think that's a great source of information. And then eventually, one of my top goals is you really have to celebrate everything. And that goes back to my each one, teach one thing, mm-hmm. which is you know I'm going to tell you so you can tell someone else to so- tell someone else. But eventually, we got to get to the point where we're celebrating everything celebrate everything. And there will always be naysayers here and there on certain things, but if we celebrate it, um, we can get there. Love that. Yeah, I I try to be as much of a Reno booster as I possibly can. And I know that not everything is perfect, uh, but I really, really love this city. And uh, I'd rather be talking about all the things that I enjoy about it than being uh, maybe overly critical of the things that are not ideal. Because I think that we need to be aware of, you know, how we can be better But if we're not actually enjoying and loving the city that we live in and experiencing the improvements that have been made, uh, then kind of what's the point, right? So uh, I appreciate that attitude of, uh, you know, celebrating the wins and being being proud of the city that we are, even if it's not perfect. Yep. And eventually we'll all get somewhere together. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am excited to learn a little bit more about what's going on in Reno from people who work in the city, because I feel like we talk about Reno a lot. Um, that is, you know, it comes up almost every episode. I end up talking about, you know, development and changes and Reno's growth and how it brands itself. So episodes like this, where I get to talk to people who are there in the thick of it, uh, really helps kind of shine a light on how it all works. Nothing about us without us. <laughs> thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks to my guest, Brian McArdle from the city of Reno for coming on the show. What a great conversation. I learned so much about what's going on in the city and really what the city of Reno specifically is trying to do. Really appreciate Brian taking the time, and it's always good to talk to people who are actually working at the city on these kind of efforts that we talk about on the show on a regular basis. So thank you so much, Brian, and thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episodes of Renoites, do me a favor and help spread the word. My goal this year for the podcast is listener growth, audience growth, letting people know about the show. I've been so proud of the quality of guests, the level of conversation, the topics that we've covered, but I want more people to know about this show and what's going on. So tell your friends, tell your family, share posts on social media. That is a very free and very easy way to help spread the word about this show, and I really appreciate all of my listeners, especially those who are telling their friends and family, spreading the word. Thank you so much for that. This episode of 
Renoites was produced by myself, Connor McQuivy, and my co-producer, Lynn Lazaro. Thank you so much to Lynn for helping out with the show this season. Again, if you have any kind of feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Instagram at Renoites and by email at Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at Renoites.com. That's all I've got for you this week. See you next time. 